Welcome to the Breaking 50% Podcast, where we bring you 9.5 minutes of NFL gambling news because you care about gambling, but you just don't want to spend too much time learning about it. Trash cover of the week. Dallas Cowboys plus two and a half over the Washington Redskins. You know there were limited options when we go with an underdog that won straight up. But Kirk Cousins' performance was so bad it had to be documented, and this is how we will document it. Kirk Cousins had been a bad quarterback for his entire career. He threw tons of interceptions, he struggled to complete 60% of his passes, and then suddenly, the last 10 games of 2015, he was really good. Only threw three interceptions, went on to pass for more than 4,000 yards for the season, and got the Redskins to the playoffs. Pretty perfect timing, too, considering he was up for a new contract this summer. A new contract of $16 million per year, which he refused to sign, meaning that he's on a one-year franchise tag deal, meaning he's betting that 2015 was not an aberration, but rather an improvement and a sign of things to come. While we are early in the 2016 season, it seems like 2015 was more of that outlier aberration as opposed to a sign of things to come. Because again, on Sunday, Kirk Cousins missed so many throws that a quarterback who wants to be paid like a top quarterback cannot miss. Multiple awful deep balls that would have been touchdowns. Multiple underthrows that would have been crucial first downs. And even on a deep ball that he completed late in the fourth quarter, the ball was so severely underthrown, the streaking receiver, Doxon, had to stop, turn around, allow the defense to catch him. But no big deal! They were inside the red zone, they were going to score a touchdown, up 23-20, a cover was in hand. And then Kirk threw an interception in the end zone. So that didn't happen. Least favorite comment of the week. Technically it is, but I don't really like it. Unwritten rules are usually pretty terrible because they're unwritten. If they were great rules, we would write them into the rule book. And by not having them in the rule book, conflict is inevitable because there will inevitably be disagreement about that which is unwritten. In this case, Mike Pereira, a former head of officiating for the NFL, is advocating that instead of following the actual written rule, the referee in the Cleveland Browns game should have been following some vague unwritten rule, which would indicate that the taunt that Terrell Pryor committed wasn't actually a taunt or at least not a taunt that should have been penalized. You can see how the logic gets a little murky. What Pereira is essentially advocating for is more referee judgment, which is not a crazy thing to advocate for. That instead of having a long list of specific acts that demand a taunting, unsportsmanlike conduct penalty, the rule book is more about context and referee judgment and perhaps some suggestions or examples, but not specifics. So you can imagine my surprise when I actually went and looked at the rule book. I expected to see a specific rule that says a player cannot drop the ball on an opponent. After all, this is what happened late in the fourth quarter, with under 30 seconds to go when Terrell Pryor caught a pass at the 10-yard line 
As he got up from being tackled, he dropped the ball on an opponent slash was trying to give it back to the referee. It was a little ambiguous. But given Pereira's comments, I just assumed, hey, he dropped the ball on the opponent. Technically, that is a 15-yard penalty, so it had to be issued, even though Pereira didn't want it to be issued. We've already covered that. The rule book doesn't say that. And I quote, Violations will be penalized if any of the acts are committed directly at an opponent. These acts include, but are not limited to, sack dances, home run swing, incredible hulk, spiking the ball, spinning the ball, throwing or shoving the ball, pointing, pointing the ball, verbal taunting, military salute, standing over an opponent, prolonged and with provocation, or dancing. There are some things that are right around what Terrell Pryor did, but nothing that is technically what he did. So technically, this didn't have to be a penalty, which makes this comment even worse. One, Pereira was suggesting that referees should follow unwritten rules as opposed to the actual rules. And two, he was wrong about what the actual rules are. Reminder of the week. It is much easier to play offense, specifically for quarterbacks, than it ever has been. We keep talking about how easy it is to play offense, how hard it is to play defense. You can't go low on the quarterback. You can't go high on the quarterback. You can't touch a receiver. Offenses are far more complicated, more sophisticated. The coaching is better. While offenses get to practice in seven-on-seven drills year-round, defenses can barely practice tackling. These facts are referenced on a near-weekly basis. And yet we fail to connect the dots when it comes to highlighting offensive statistics. Here is the all-time list of most passing yards averaged per game. We will start at the top and quickly run to number 15. Drew Brees, Matt Stafford, Andrew Luck, Peyton Manning, Matt Ryan, Kurt Warner, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Dan Marino, Philip Rivers, Ben Roethlisberger, Carson Palmer, Ryan Tannehill, Eli Manning, Brett Favre. You may have noticed a lot of names that you recognize. Remember, this is an all-time list. That would be 11 out of 15 all-time passers are currently playing in the NFL. So what does this mean? This means we need to be just a little bit more practical when it comes to comparing current offensive players to anyone who has played in a previous era. It is obviously much easier to score points, to put up yards, to come back from large deficits than it's ever been. Simply looking at counting stats is not going to be an adequate way to measure players today with even players in the 1990s. I mean, Ryan Tannehill is putting up better numbers than Hall of Fame quarterbacks ever put up. So this is where some advanced statistics have come in. But for those who are, for some crazy reason, fearful of that, here's a new suggestion. Simply compare statistics within the season they occur. For instance, in 2007, Tom Brady threw 50 touchdown passes. That sounds like a lot. That is a lot. How did it compare to how other people were throwing touchdowns at that time? The average output of the top 10 quarterbacks removing Tom Brady was 29.44. So Brady's performance was 
nearly 70% above the average. Now compare that to Dan Marino's 1984 season where he threw 48 touchdowns. I mean, Brady's was better, right? He threw two more touchdowns. Well, let's take a look at what happened in 1984. The average top 10 quarterback threw 24 touchdown passes. So Marino was 96% above the norm. Very simple math, but fairly illuminating. Or take receivers last year. Julio Jones, incredible, 136 catches. Well, the average of the top 10 was 106. So he was 28% above the average. Nice. But compare that to Don Hudson's 1942 season. He had 74 catches, which if you just go straight by the numbers, is terrible compared to Julio Jones. But the average number of receptions in that season out of the top 10 receivers, 22. He was 230% better than the average. A far, far, far more impressive accomplishment than what Julio Jones did. See, this method allows us to still cling to yards and touchdowns and receptions and passing yards and those very simple counting statistics, but fairly compare them to what has come before. Well, it took me one week to break the format. So much for five minutes. We're experimenting with some things here early on in the season. We'll get things on a consistent track sometime soon, I would think.